Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Well, good morning, church. Some of you may have noticed already, but Pastor Kip and Dixie are not with us here this morning. They are uh, uh, out in Philadelphia for the for the camp, Church of God camp meeting, and they are going to church uh, out there this morning. But they send their regards. They say, hey, and they will be back later tonight. But this morning, we do have a special guest with us here this morning. We have Dr. Ken Bell with us here. Dr. Ken Bell was a uh, previous state overseer here. He was an overseer as well in um, Western North Carolina as well. He has held two pastorates, and the reason they were back in the area, he has retired and wants to be close to family. He's got his daughter and son-in-law and two beautiful grandbabies here this morning. But could we honor Dr. Ken Bell as he comes and brings the word this morning? Thank you very much. <clears throat> what he's saying is I'm a has-been <laughs> for years. Um, my wife has been referred to as Ken Bell's wife, and now I'm referred to as Trish Bell's husband. <laughs> but it's a delight to be here and appreciate Pastor Kip and trust me with uh, his congregation today. I first met Kip and Dixie when we came as overseer and 2010. Well, I think I'd met him when I'd been here for a Bible study for the camp meeting, and he had just planted the church and was meeting at the sports emporium. Is anybody? Amen. So now you've got two services, and I just commend Pastor Kip and Dixie for the outstanding job they've done. Andrew's doing a great job, and Zach's done a great job of music, and Jenna, she's telling me she's retired now, too. She was doing a good job with the young people, <clears throat> but it's a delight to be with you today. Now, I know I'm on a time limit this morning. And uh, I'm reminded of a young southern minister who went up north to pastor. He'd never been up north, and they had a huge snowstorm. He went to church, and only one farmer showed up. And so the pastor said to the farmer, well, I guess since it's just me and you, we'll call off service. And the farmer said, well, pastor... If I go out to the field to feed my cows, if one cow shows up, I feed it. <laughs> he said, all right, well, we'll just go ahead and have church then. <laughs> so, so he called him up to the choir. Those days when they called people up to the choir, and him and the farmer sang a couple of hymns, and then he took the farmer's prayer request, asked the farmer if he'd like to sing a special, and asked him if he'd like to testify, and went ahead and let him testify. Then the pastor preached his message, called the farmer down to the altar, and had prayer around the altar. He said, why don't we go ahead and celebrate Communion and feet washing. So he went ahead and celebrated communion and feet washing. So after the service, the pastor said to the farmer, well, you taught me a lesson today, farmer, that uh, we need to just go ahead and have church. And the farmer said, well, I don't think you got the whole lesson. He said, when I go out to the field to feed a cow, if only one shows up, I don't give it the whole load. <laughs> so, so, so since I'm on limited time, you may not get the whole load this morning. It could be good or bad. But it's a delight to be here, and again, I commend your pastor and his wife for the great job they're doing him. I want to preach to you this morning on the thought of being tested. How many of you like to take tests? Any of you like to take tests? Nope. <laughs> nope. Hey, there's one guy. There's always one in the congregation <laughs> that likes to take tests. But, you know, we experience tests all of our lives. I think the pandemic was a test for the church and for us as individuals. I taught at East Coast Bible College for 17 years in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my students feared my test, and I tried to prepare them. I'd give them a study guide, and they just had to study. 
but I would give multiple choice questions, true, false questions, fill in the blank. <clears throat> and I gave some essay questions until I got tired of reading all the bunk. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good word <laughs> that they wrote, and quit including essay questions. And one had one student come up to me after, after a test. He got his grade back. He said, Dr. Bell, I don't think I deserve this F. And I said, well, I don't either, but it was the lowest grade I could give you. <laughs> That's cold, isn't it? That's cold. I heard of a college student going to secular college, and he was studying ornithology, the study of birds. And he went into class one day, and the professor handed out a pop quiz. You know what pop tests are? No study. And it was a page with pictures of bird legs, two bird legs in a blank, two bird legs in a blank. And he said, identify the bird that belongs to these legs. He looked at it. He didn't have a clue what birds those legs belonged to. So he just got up and turned his test back in, started out the door, and the professor said, wait, son, you didn't sign your name. How am I supposed to know who you are? He raised his pants leg and said, you tell me who I am. <laughs> but we're all familiar with testing. And uh, I want to share a scripture with you. It's found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. I used to didn't read all the verses of Scripture. I would tell people, and Megan reminds me, I would say, you know the story. But people don't know the story uh, as much now as they used to. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac when God tells Abraham to take his son and offer him as a burnt offering. So let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. That came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Who tested him? God tested Abraham. Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place in the King James as Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So I want to talk about being tested. 
Let me just tell you that you are either being tested today, being positioned for a test, or have completed a test and preparing for the next test. That's the way life is. Serving God is not an event. It is a process. It's wonderful when you get saved. That is an event, but that just begins the process. It's just like today in life, we experience the COVID test. You have a stress test. You have blood tests. You have breathing tests. There are oral tests. I had to defend my doctoral dissertation. If you take a job interview, that's like an oral test. There are skill tests. I think they still require you to know how to drive before they give driver's license. So sometimes I question, <laughs> question them. If you get a CDL license, you have to take a test. If you want to fly a plane, you've got to take a test. And then there's life tests that every one of us experience. There are relationship tests between husband and wife, between parents and their children, between neighbors with one another, between pastors and members, between members and other members of the church. There are financial tests when sometimes the outgo is more than the income and you wonder what you're going to do or how you're going to make ends meet. There are emotional tests when you cry about a situation till it seems like you can't cry anymore and you don't know what to do. And there are physical tests when you have an ailment in your body, some sickness, some disease, and you have to deal with pain or deal with uh, many doctor's visits. And here's the, here's the thing. We often want deliverance when God wants development. We want God to just take the pain away, just ease it, take it away, get us out of there. But what God often does, he lets us be in those situations because he wants to develop us. I believe that life is a continual cycle. There's a lesson God wants us to learn, and then he either gives it to us in a message or a song or while you're reading your Bible at home. There's some lesson he wants to teach you. And, for example, he may want to see if you really trust him or not. So he then puts you in a situation where he tests you to see if you'll trust him. And here's the thing. If you pass the test, you move on to the next lesson he wants you to learn. If you fail the test, you'll come right back around to another test. And some people get stuck, and that's why their lives just go round and round. They never go in God because they don't learn what he's trying to teach them. We're all familiar with the third verse of Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace that will lead me home. Here's the thing, folks. Nothing that happens to us catches God by surprise. He knows what's coming, and Satan is not in control. God is in control of this world. He hasn't abdicated the throne. He hasn't been removed, hasn't been voted out. And if we believe that Jesus is Lord of this world and Lord of our lives, and we can look forward to the day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I know things are difficult. This is a strange time in which we're living. But this should be a time of optimism for the child of God instead of pessimism because Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, Now, when these things begin to happen, he's talking about the end days, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near and I believe what we need to do as a church body is to get our eyes off of our problems and get them back on our God. He's bigger than any of our problems. And we can concentrate on the problems or look to him for solutions. James says in James 1, 2, and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. One of my favorite scriptures is 1 John 3 and 2. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You hear me? Not 
when we get to heaven. We are children of God right now. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In Acts 17, 28, Paul said, For in him we live and move and have our being. During World War II, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish physician. The Nazis captured him and his family, took him to the concentration camp, gassed his wife and children and parents. They kept him alive because he could keep the Jewish who were involved in labor camp alive. But they destroyed his office, destroyed all of his medical records. One day he was standing in the chow line getting ready to get the mush that they were feeding them. And one of the guards was standing by and noticed that he still had his wedding band on his finger. And he commanded him, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand, and the guard gleefully pulled that wedding band off his finger. It was the last vestige of his past. And at that moment, Viktor Frankl realized there's one thing that guard and the Nazis could not take away from him, and that was the freedom to choose how he would respond. And hear me, we all had that same freedom. We can choose to make things that happen to us make us bitter, or they can make us better, but it's a choice that we can make. Abraham is called the father of the faithful. Why is he called that? Because he had a going, not knowing mentality. He was living in Ur, and one day God came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Didn't even tell him where he was going. And can you imagine, in fact, Hebrews 11, 8 says, he went out not knowing where he was going. I often wonder what he told his wife. Go on the tent. Sarah, honey, start packing. Where we're we going, honey? I don't know. God didn't say. Now, if it had been my wife, and she's a wonderful woman of God, <laughs> but if I did that, went home to her, honey, we're moving, she said, what do you mean we're moving? I could say, well, God told me that we were to move. She would say, where are we going then? I said, I don't know. He didn't tell me. I can just hear her. <laughs> well, when God is a little bit clearer, and speaks to me personally, then we might move. <laughs> but here's the choices. We can either trust God and be triumphant in life or doubt God and be defeated. It's that simple. I want you to notice three things about this passage of Scripture. First of all, it was a divine test. God tested Abraham. God tested Job by allowing Satan's attacks but God limited them. Remember when Satan accused Job before God, said, well, if you take your heads from around him, Job will curse you. God said, all right, you can take his possessions, but you can't touch his person. So you know what Satan did? In one day, a servant came running to Job and said, the Sabaeans came and took all of your donkeys and oxen and killed all the servants, and only I remain and come to tell you. While that servant was yet speaking, Another servant came and said, fire from heaven came down and consumed all of your sheep and all your servants, and I alone was left to come and tell you. While he was yet speaking, the third servant came and said, the Chaldeans came and took all of your camels and killed all of your servants, and I'm the only one left to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, the fourth servant came in and said, your sons and daughters, your children, ten children, were celebrating in their older brother's home, and a strong wind came. And the house fell, and all ten children are dead. That happened in the space of less than an hour. Job lost all of his possessions. But the Bible says he did not curse God. 
or charge God foolishly. In fact, Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You've got to be able to praise God when you're on the receiving end and praise God when you're on the giving end. You praise him anyway because he's God. Then Satan attacked his body and, you know, he afflicted him with boils from his head to his feet. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job served God anyway. God limited Satan's attacks, and he limits his attacks on you and me as well. There are two reasons God asked Abraham to take his son off him as a burnt offering. Now, I can't explain why God did that. God did not like human sacrifice. In fact, he prohibited human sacrifice, but he told Abraham to do this. Abraham heard the audible voice of God. There was no doubt about the will of God. He knew the voice of God. Many Christians today say, well, I don't know if it's God speaking to me or if it's Satan whispering in my ear or if it's just myself. But the Bible says, my sheep know my voice and will not follow another. But he had an audible voice and he didn't question God. The Israelites had a visible manifestation of the will of God. As they left Egypt, you know, God put a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so they knew which way to go. If the cloud went east, they went east. If it went north, they went north. Did you know that from Egypt to the Promised Land was just a two-week journey to the northeast by way of the Mediterranean Sea? But the cloud leads them to the southeast out into the wilderness on a divine detour because knew God knew they were not ready to fight. If they'd gone to the northeast, to Palestine, they would have had default to the Philistines. They had been farmers and brickmakers. They were not fighters. So God, knowing what was best for them, led them on a divine detour to the southeast out into the wilderness to prepare them for the fights ahead. Now, there were some smart Church of God members in that group who said, we know the way to, to the promised land. This is not it. Why are you leading out here? But they followed the cloud. And where did the cloud lead them? The cloud led them to the banks of the Red Sea. God knew the Red Sea was there. They couldn't swim across. They didn't have boats to get all the people and animals across. And they were stopped. And the Egyptians were hard on the trail behind them. And those Church of God members spoke up and said, We told you. <laughs> we told you this was not the way. Why did you lead us out here to die in the wilderness? But Moses said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Again, God led them to that dead end deliberately to prove his power he told Moses, stretch forth his rod. The Red Sea parted, and they walked across on dry ground, and then came back and drowned the Egyptians. Then they went out into the wilderness, and there was no water. And this way life is. Their problem at the Red Sea was too much water. Now they're out in the wilderness, and there's not enough water. <laughs> and, they, and the Bible says, Exodus 15, and there he proved them or tested them again. So I was telling you about a cycle. If you don't learn it the first time, you get, you'll get another test to try. And they failed God again. And same thing with Joseph. Joseph had dreams that one day he would rule over his father and mother, brothers and sisters, and he didn't have sense to keep that dream to himself, so he told <laughs> his brothers, and they were jealous of him. And you know the story. Joseph's dreams cost him to be put in a pit, sold as a slave, became a servant in Potiphar's house, falsely accused of adultery with Potiphar's wife, wound up in prison for two years, and I imagine Joseph wondered, where are all these things God promised me? Where are these dreams God told me about? And then he wound up in Pharaoh's house. And here's the thing, folks. You might not ever hear God speak to you audibly. 
You might not ever receive a sign, but we do have his word. And you can, touch, you can trust God on what he said. Psalm 23 and 4, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His word says in Psalm 27 and 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? His word says in Psalm 30 and 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. His word says in Psalm 121 and 1, David said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. His word says in Isaiah 26 and 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. His word says in Isaiah 43, 1 to 3, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. His word says in Matthew 28 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. His word says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And his word says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, There has no temptation overtaken you except such as come to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation also make a way, the way of escape, that you may be able to bear. If we trust him, and if we believe God's word, I believe when your whole world caves in, like it did on Job, you can still sing that old song. We don't sing it much anymore. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation, the purchase of God. I'm born of his spirit and washed in his blood, and this is my story, and this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Here's the thing. Miracles only happen in miracle territory. And what that means is, if you never need a miracle, you'll never experience a miracle. If you're never sick, you'll never know that God can heal you. If you never lack, you'll never know that God can provide. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So it was a divine test. Secondly, it was a difficult task. Verse 2, the Lord tells Abraham to take his son and offer him as a burnt offering. It was a test of his faith, obedience, and love. And what God was actually saying to Abraham, do you trust me or not? Now, some Christians today have the attitude, why trust when I can worry? <laughs> has, worry has worry ever solved any of your problems? Has worry ever given you a good night's rest? Has worry ever strengthened you to help your problems? No. But I'm telling you, if you can learn to trust God, you can lay down at night saying, God, it is your, in your hands. I'm not going to carry it anymore. I've given it to you. You see, Isaac was the child of promise. He was promised, Abraham was promised when he was 75 years old that he would, God would give him seed as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. But he and Sarah barren. When he turned 100 and Sarah was 90 years old, little Isaac was born. 
And now, God says, take Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. Abraham's choice was fear or faith. Hebrews 11, 17 and 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. Job lost his possessions, he lost his children, he lost his health, and he had a choice, fear or faith, and he chose to trust God. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. I don't know if you know for me with Jason Crabb, his family, they wrote a song, Through the Fire, and I think it captures his thought. He said, he never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered a victory without fighting. He said help would always come in time. So just remember, when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in, just hold on. Our Lord will show up, and he will take you through the fire again. It was a difficult task. And let me ask you this. What is the task God has for you in this church? Why did God save you? He didn't save you to just be a seat warmer, just an attender, just a tithe payer. He saved you for a purpose in his kingdom. It may be a difficult task like children's church when all the adults are out here taking care of kids. It may be a janitor sweeping the floor, vacuuming the sanctuary. But there is something for every one of you to do. And here's the thing. If we don't fulfill God's purpose for our lives, there's no reason for him to leave us here. Now, I know that's blunt, but it's true. Why would God waste good resources on somebody who's not going to do his will? You need to find out what it is. If you don't know what your talents are, talk with the pastor. He can help you work through what your skills are. Our problem is, folks, is we have too many consumers. All they want to do is come to church sit for an hour and 15, enjoy the music, enjoy the preaching, and go home with no responsibility for the rest of the week. I commend this church for the way you are involved in the community activities. But God wants you to be a disciple. It may be a difficult task for you. The third thing about this passage of Scripture is there was a defining moment. They got wood and they got fire, and they started toward the mountain again, Mount Moriah, the land of Moriah. And it took them on the third day Abraham saw the mountain afar off, and he says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, I want you to notice Abraham's faith. He didn't know in advance what God was going to do, but he had so much confidence in God. God had promised him a son. He didn't know how God was going to do it. As I read scripture earlier, he concluded that God was able to raise him from the dead if necessary. But he said, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, something else to notice about here, the test was not getting there. It was a three-day journey. But now that he was here, it was a defining moment. He had to choose. Am I going to go ahead and offer my son or am I going to go back home? I didn't mention it, but I wonder what he told Sarah this time. (laughs) Uh, honey, uh, God told me um, to take our son and offer him as a burnt offering. I suspect he told her, honey, Isaac and I are going to go worship, but we'll be back in a few days. I just don't know. 
But here's the thing, positioning for a test is not the test. Can you imagine Abraham traveling, walking two days, camping overnight, the third day seeing the land, and the what-ifs that went through his mind? What if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't show up on time? What if I have to go back home without Isaac? What am I going to tell Sarah? Satan was just as real back then as he is today, and many of us, he sits on our shoulder and poses little questions. What if it doesn't work out the way you want it to? What if God doesn't show up on time? The test was Abraham had to choose. He reached that defining moment when he had to go back home or obey God. It's like the Israelites at the Red Sea. Some wanted to give up and go back to Egypt. There's something else about this passage of Scripture that I think speaks very strongly. You know the age difference between Abraham and Isaac? One hundred years. But he said, we will go yonder and worship, and we will return. I believe, and this is a personal opinion, I'm saying that, that I think our children need to worship with their parents sometimes. I'm not saying every Sunday, but there ought to be time when they are in the church. I loved when I was here a week or two ago and you had the kids, a kids thing. I just think that's so powerful for children to be involved in adult worship. And uh, But he said, we. Now I want you to notice Abraham spoke his faith aloud. He didn't keep it to himself. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of no evidence of God's provision, Abraham believed God. They started up the mountain. They put the wood on Abraham's back, had the fire, and started up the mountain. And Isaac was a smart little boy. He said, Daddy, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the lamb? And notice what Abraham said. Son, God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. What I want you to notice is he had to speak his faith aloud the second time. Can I tell you, it's easy to speak your faith aloud on Sunday morning in church. You're surrounded by believers. You've got people who love you and care for you. But you've got to speak your faith aloud on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday when nobody's around and you don't see any change. You've got to speak your faith. God, I believe your word. Now, Abraham believed God already had an answer. Now, Abraham didn't have Waze or Google Maps. That shows you where the police are and where the construction sites are, that sort of thing. But he believed God. So Abraham followed God's direction and started up the mountain. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe as Abraham and Isaac started up one side of the mountain, God started the ram up on the other side. Now, Abraham couldn't see the ram, but it was coming. And Abraham and Isaac got to the top of the mountain before the ram. I'm sure that Abraham thought, if he obeyed God this far, got to the top of the mountain, that surely the answer would be there when he got on top. But the answer wasn't there. As a father, I'm sure he looked around. God, I thought you would show up by now, but he hadn't. And hear me, folks, you're often disappointed because God doesn't answer your prayers the way you wanted or when you wanted. But I'm telling you, God has a plan. He's heard your prayers. Your answer may already be on the way. It's coming. The answer's coming, but it wasn't there. So what did Abraham do? He did what God told him to do. He built the altar, looked around. There was no ram. Laid the wood out on the altar, looked around. The ram still was not there. He bound his son, looked around. The ram still was not there. Laid Isaac on the altar, 
looked around. I'm sure he looked behind him, but the ram was not there. Then he took the knife and raised his hand, and then the angel of God called out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. If you read the text, he says his name once to get Abraham to take his son. He calls his name twice to keep him from taking his son's life. God knew in his heart, Abraham's heart, that Abraham had committed to taking his son's life. And he looked around, and the answer had made it to the top of the mountain. And he took the ram and offered it and named that place Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. You see, God is an ambidextrous God. You know what that means? He's as good with his right hand as he is with his left hand. And what happens to us, we're often concentrating on what God's doing over here and don't even see what he's doing over here. Abraham didn't see what God was doing with his left hand while he was following God on the right hand. It's like God already had the lamb ready to take Isaac's place. When they came to collect taxes from Jesus and his disciples, he told Peter to go fishing. Peter caught a fish, had a gold coin in his mouth. God had already provided Matthew 6 and 8 says, Your father knows the things you have need of even before you ask him. And here's the thing, folks. You have a choice. You can trust God and be triumphant or doubt God and be defeated. And this is your defining moment this morning. I'm sure there's some of you who brought a need into this building today. I don't need to know what it is. It doesn't matter because God already knows what your need is. You may be having problems, marital problems. You may be having problems with some children. You may be having some financial problems, some health problems, but I'm telling you, God knows what you need. And today is your defining moment. Now, you've got to make a decision. Am I going going to put this in God's hands and leave it here, or am I going to walk out the door and continue to worry about it and hope things work out? It's your decision this morning. I used to be a chaplain in the Air Force, And one day there was a young man who came and said, I'm tired of going to church. I'm sick of it, sick of the people, sick of all the activities. I don't want you to come visit me. I don't want any of the people to come visit me. I'm through. And the head chaplain just smiled and said, okay, but will you do one thing for me before you go? I said, sure, what is it? You know, in the Air Force chapels, you have to, they use the same chapel for different religions. So in Protestant, they have the Protestant cross. In the Catholic service, they have the crucifix with Christ alone in it, and the Catholics had just finished. I said, would you go into the sanctuary and look up at the cross, the crucifix with Christ still on the cross, and point a finger at it and say, you did that for me, but I don't care. He said, yeah, I can do that. So he walked into the sanctuary, stood down in front of the altar, looked up at the cross, raised his finger and said, you did that for me, and I, <coughs> and he choked. Couldn't get out. He looked back up at the cross and said, you did that for me? And then he fell to his knees and said, you did that for me. And the Bible says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Father, I delivered the word you laid on my heart for this congregation this morning. You know everyone who is here You know, God, what their needs are. And I pray that at this moment, at this time, God, they will make that decision to give it to you. 
And Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work in Jesus' name. As Zach plays and sings something, if you have a need this morning that you'd like to put in God's hands, we used to sing a song, take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. That you take them to the altar and you leave them there. And again, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you'd like special prayer and you'd like to bring your need up here, we're going to leave it here and you walk out this door not carrying it anymore. If you have a need, we'd like special prayer, we want to invite you, but you can do it right where you're standing. You have something you want God to do for you. You need God to do in your life. you just like to raise your hand as, a, as an act of faith. God, I'm giving this to you today, and you're going to leave it here with him. Right now, as he sings again. Sing it again, Zach. Go ahead, Zach, sing it again. Father, we give these needs to you today everyone who's here, God, that has some situation they've struggled with, something they've been worried about, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will do a work in their lives. Help them to leave it here. Leave it in your hands and walk out this door trusting you. Lord, we commit it to you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Sing it. Come on in.
Church, something happens when we step out in faith and we give that need to, to the Lord. And we, 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 we step out in faith. That's what we call the step of faith. It takes that, that courage and, that, and, that, and that, that faith to step out and say, God, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I need you to take this. I want to encourage you this week, if you have something you're holding on to, give it to Jesus today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of those in the house and all of those online this morning, God. God, those of us that are carrying burdens that are too much for us to bear, Lord, I pray that we would give them to you, not just today, but tomorrow and Tuesday and every day this week, Lord. God, that you would help us to grow in our faith, that we would learn to trust you more and more each day. Jesus, bless us as we leave this place. God, bring us back safe here next week. We pray these things in your name. Amen. from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.